Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. So uh, let's begin with uh, that question. What'd you come up with? What's the most valuable thing you own that was freely given to you? Anybody have an answer for me this morning? What's the most valuable thing you own that was freely given to you? Okay, Zach's car, right? Nice, nice. All right, who struggled with this question? Just show me your hand here, all right? Yeah, because uh, this is an interesting question. I'm talking to some people here of describing like, okay, well, there's a lot of things that are freely given to me, but what's that value kind of play? Are you talking about stuff or are you talking about a philosophical piece? Somebody up here shared like love, right? It's a beautiful answer. And another person shared their car, all right, uh, food or whatever it may be. Um, for me, this morning, when I was thinking about this, this question, um, I have this watch right here. Everybody go, ooh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really nice. Um, it's uh, actually the watch that my grandpa uh, wore all the time. Uh, Ray Heim was his name, and as a young boy, I remember, like, he was the one that, like, I wanted to be exactly like. He played uh, professional baseball. He was just super liked by many people. I remember as a young kid, he would send me out to like go and say hi to people because he was known by everybody in his community. He also enjoyed drinking gin and smoking cigars. And you can still kind of smell it on this watch. I'm kidding. No, you can't. All right. But, but my grandpa, uh, this was something that was like very special to him. And the reason that I have it today is because he's not here anymore. And as I rediscovered this watch, it reminds me that this was something that was freely given to me, but also like very valuable. And today I want us to like like sink into this thought here that's simply this. If we can get one point from today, it is this. That what we are talking about this morning, it is free to receive, yet costly to be offered. Free to receive, yet costly to be offered. And we're in the middle of this uh, series entitled Foolish Things That Christians Believe, and it comes from this passage right here that uh, Paul, the author, writes this. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Say the word folly. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Say the word power. See, what Paul is pointing out here is that the cross is foolish to those who don't believe. It doesn't make sense. In fact, as we talked about, like, it is something that, like, if, if the cross is not the real deal, if the resurrection did not happen, then what we're doing here is just really a waste of time. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. God. And so 
in the month of April here, we are just going to focus in on like three things that seem foolish to the world, but to those who believe it is the power of God. On Easter Sunday, we talked about the resurrection. If the resurrection does not happen, then this is just all a waste of time. Paul would even say that we are the most pitied people of all. But if the resurrection does happen, then there is a game-changing moment. The words that Jesus said, the, the things that he talked about would come into fruition. And they would bring power for those who believe. And today, we're going to talk about another thing that seems to be foolish to the world. Because unless you live in like a Christian bubble... And I'm afraid that some of us like live in this world where all we hear is just like only Christian voices. Unless you live in a Christian bubble, you, you will recognize that people who don't believe will say that is incredibly foolish what you believe and hold to. And I want to acknowledge that and honor that. But I also want to point to say that these things bring power to who God is. And today, the foolish aspect that we'll be talking about is simply this loaded word, forgiveness. And in order to get there, I want to start with our scripture reading that Brian read for us this morning. But actually, hold on. I'm all thrown off here. I don't want to go there. I want to start with this. Um, <clears throat> in this world, uh, we live in uh, this like perspective of we reap what we sow. You, you understand what I'm saying by that? Like um, we live in this culture of like uh, this spiritual term that's called like karma. We, uh, if we do good, we should uh, ideally receive good. Um, if we do bad, we should receive bad. For example, uh, Last week, or a couple weeks ago on Easter, we had our brunch afterwards. Uh, this has been the second year in a row that we've done that. It's also been the second year in a row that Margaret has brought Oreo cheesecake bars. And I love them. All right? They have cheesecake, they have Oreos, and the best part about them is there's a cookie crust. All right? They are terrible for your health. And in fact, the second year in a row, I've eaten four of those cheesecake bars in one setting. Do you know how I felt? Not great, right? Because you reap what you sow. If you just eat kale and do a bunch of sit-ups, guess what? You're going to hate your life, but you're also going to get a six-pack at some point in time because you reap what you sow, we see this all the time in life. It is just a common fact of who we are as people. If you work and you study well for the exam that's coming, you are prepared for the exam when that comes. If you do your job well to the liking of your boss, eventually there will be reaping that comes from that. But it's not just in good things. It's also we believe that like in bad things. That if you commit a crime, you should be punished for that crime. And, and this just makes sense. I'm not like neglecting the fact that we will reap what we sow. But when we talk 
about God's kingdom. And when we talk about forgiveness, it seems to kind of just flip things upside down. And in some ways, it doesn't really make sense. In, in order to prove that, I, I want to like go to our scripture verse now, all right? This is in Luke chapter 22. It says, uh, 23, it says this, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. The him there is Jesus. Uh, Jesus, as you have probably heard or seen, that he was crucified on a cross. He's brought forward, he's been betrayed by his disciples, and they are taking him to the cross. This is before his resurrection. And when they came to the place, verse 33, that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus is being crucified, and the image that we get is this. You've probably seen it before. Like, he was not crucified alone. He had two criminals next to him. And we don't know exactly what their offense was, but we do know that they recognized that they were criminals. And the crucifixion, it wasn't like this like, very silent, like, like hidden thing like execution is today in our society. No, it was a very public thing. It was a place of chaos. People were like, what in the world is going on here? And as Jesus had been beaten, he carried his cross, having somebody else carry that for him, and he was crucified there. And to be crucified meant that, that you were seen as a threat to society. It wasn't like you ate too many cheesecake bars. No, you were seen as an enemy to the state. It was a serious offense. And we read here that as Jesus is on the cross, we see that, that there's this perspective of that he really didn't deserve to be there. In fact, what uh, Paul would write this, he would say that, um, he would say, for our sake, he, being God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus is put into this company of two criminals who did not commit sin, but was placed there because of the proclamation of who he said he was. And as he hung on the cross, beaten, he would utter these words, words that would shake us still to this day. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's those moments, in this moment, I kind of look at that and I'm like, all right, forgive them. Jesus, it really does appear that they know what they're doing because they're killing you. But Jesus' response is, forgive them. It's foolish. It does not make sense. It is contrary to the way of the world. He is not sowing what he is not reaping what he has sowed. And it continues. 
In fact, groups of people we read were, were standing there and watching, and the rulers, one group of people, scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36, a second group of people, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. For there was an inscription over his head, this is the king of the Jews. And then finally, the third person, somebody hanging on the cross, a criminal who was right there with him, looks at him and says these words, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This forgiveness seems incredibly foolish. This suffering that Jesus is going through seems very foolish. In fact, in two weeks, that's going to be our topic. We're going to talk about suffering because it seems foolish to the world. But the criminal was there, looked at him, and challenged him with those words. And Jesus, in this very moment, as he hangs from the cross, hangs on to the words that he had said previously. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Yet, interestingly enough, the other criminal has a voice here too from this chaotic moment. The other criminal looks at Jesus and he says these words to him. Do not fear God. Do you not fear God? speaking to the other criminals, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, the man who is in between us, has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is a famous passage that comes with incredibly powerful, impactful words because Jesus then says to that man, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This thief who hangs on the cross as well acknowledges his need of forgiveness. Not mocking Jesus to come down, but to say, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And he dies. Collectively, them together. And Paul would write this. There are beautiful words that he says, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Simply said, it is free to receive, yet costly to be offered. Free to be received, yet costly to be offered. And sometimes I think we look at the story of the crucifixion, we look at Jesus' death and resurrection, and we see it as something like a Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Like, hey, good thing I landed on that space, or now I get this card. It's no big deal, right? It doesn't affect anything in the game. No, our sin, the sin that we have committed, it cost Jesus his own life. 
It costs Jesus to come into this world, to die a death that he did not deserve, to be hung on a cross in between two criminals. It cost him his life. It is free to receive, yet costly to be offered. And it's with that perspective that, like, this is, like, really good news. Like, right now, we should be, like, saying, like, thank you, Jesus. Like, you have given me something that I did not earn. I am not going to reap what I have sowed. And this is reason that we come and we praise God. And if this is new news to you, I would love for you to talk to me about it because I want to explain even more of the goodness of what God has done. But I would be willing to bet that most of us here today would say, like, yeah, cool, this is all great, fine, and dandy. But, but what about right now? Like, forgiveness is great when it's, like, between God and me. But when I got to start talking about forgiveness for other people, that's a different ballgame. How in the world do I live in this world Today, in light of the good news of what Jesus has done for me. See, we say phrases like, um, (laughs) forgive and forget. You ever heard that phrase before? Never say that phrase. It doesn't make any sense. Like, God didn't forgive and then, like, say, oh, well, nothing needs to happen here. It's all just wiped away. Or we think that we need to like have somebody like really prove their forgiveness to us. Like that that doesn't make sense. It is a tough tension that we are in every single day. And today, I just want to lean into that a little bit. I don't know if you saw um, on the news, but uh, there was this uh, horrific uh, case that came out. Um, anybody heard of the story of this guy Larry Nasser by chance? All right, uh, Larry was a doctor at uh, Michigan State University. Uh, he uh, was the doctor for the women's gymnastics team, and had been there for many years. But he was also one of the doctors for uh, the women's Olympics uh, gymnastics team. And uh, what happened was accusations started to come out. Uh, that he was using his position and uh, abusing young girls. And it was horrific, some of the stories that came out. Um, Hundreds of girls being abused. And the first person uh, that publicly accused him was this woman right here. Her name is Rachel uh, Denholder. And, And Rachel is uh, somebody that we certainly can learn from here this morning. The judge decided uh, that part of Larry's trial would be having uh, these women come forward and in court speak to him directly. And so he sat there and 150 different women came forward. Let me say that again. 150 women came forward to speak to Nasser. And there are wide there was a wide range of emotion and and things that were brought into the courtroom that those days. Uh, ranging from like this guy should burn and rot to 
um, to actually one guy, one parent, charged Nasser in the courtroom that they had to tackle him, multiple police officers. And after 149 women came forward, the last one to come up was the one who publicly accused him at first. It was this woman, Rachel. Rachel, uh, a Christian, and I have so much respect for. And so today, her testimony is literally 45 minutes long, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, is he going to read it all? No, I'm not going to read it all, okay? But I want you to hear some of the words of what she had to say. It talks about forgiveness in this realm here. In fact, I'm going to have Gretchen come up and read these words for us this morning. In our early hearings, Larry, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. But it is not forgetting. She was the one who brought this man forward to accuse him of the wrong that he had done. Hear me on this. I think we as the church get this wrong often. And we don't wrestle with forgiveness. It is deep and challenging. It is free to receive, yet costly. And as a result, it will seem very foolish in this world. If our understanding of forgiveness does not understand the freedom, the cost, and consequences the repentance that is needed, we truly don't understand forgiveness. 
We don't understand how God truly forgives us. And so what that means today is that it is always costly, yet always free. And, and I realized, I, I, I'll be very honest with you, and it's just so typical that we would fumble over the words here because I was really nervous about bringing this message today. This is such a delicate, sensitive topic. And I recognize that as I look at faces around the room, we've talked about forgiveness in one capacity or another. And I'm not trying to just give you the perfect answer here. But what I am trying to help you see is that there's a new lens that God desires for us to live in. Recognizing that it is free to receive, yet costly to be offered. And today, I just want to challenge you in two ways, two simple ways, depending on where you are at in this problem, in this foolishness. Number one, if, if you're somebody who is the offender, I would pray that you would just learn the art of repenting. Learn the art of not just being the victim or coming up with all kinds of excuses, but being bold enough to say like this person on the cross who was guilty of his sin, he was willing to say, I need forgiveness. Be so bold to repent. Be so bold to lean into that. And I recognize that like, it might not be a big scenario at first. It might start really small. But secondly, if you're on the other side of that spectrum, learning how to grant forgiveness, removing our own pride, removing our own pride to forgive someone else, but not allowing yourself to feel guilty of the consequences. There are consequences for the things that happen in this life. But what God does through forgiveness is it gives us a new lens to deal with our guilt and shame, to look at somebody in a new way. Rachel, looking at Larry in that moment is a new lens to say, I am ashamed, I have been affected, but I will not be defined by the guilt and shame that is in my life. Instead, I will be defined by the identity that is given to me by God. This seems incredibly foolish, but here's my promise to you today as the pastor of this church. My promise to you is this, number one, that we will be a place that, that wrestles with forgiveness. We'll be a place that encourages people to learn the art of repenting and saying that we're sorry, saying that we have messed up. That's what the community of faith should be. But we will also be a place that does not allow cheap forgiveness to be offered at all. That it's not simply just forgive and forget, but we will wrestle with the forgiveness that is needed 
in the circumstances that we are in. Because I believe that the hope that Jesus provides, the foolishness that happens in between these two criminals, in between these two crosses, is that as Jesus looks at the man who admits his sin and comes forward, he reminds that man in that moment that he too is not alone. And my hope for you today, wherever you're at in this large topic, my hope would be that you would be reminded that you're not alone in this journey. That God is walking with you and that there's a church here that desires to walk with you as well in that struggle. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for just the forgiveness that you provide, the hope that comes because of what you have done. Lord, I know that this topic is really challenging and difficult. It seems incredibly foolish, but Lord, we're reminded what your word says, that this is also where the power of God is at work. Lord, I pray that we would experience that here at this church. That we wouldn't just settle for simple solutions to complex problems, but that we would lean in to what it really looks like to be a forgiven people that forgives one another. May your spirit, Lord, lead us in that journey. In Jesus' name, amen.